Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, we've looked um, so far in our series on the book of Ephesians at how we are together blessed and at how we are together bound, bound for glory, and at how we are together alive. We've followed the Apostle Paul as he's laid out for us all that we have in Jesus, past, present, and future, and then followed him as he turned to pray that we might know what is the hope to which we were called, that is, where we're going, that we might know that it's going to be worth it when we get there, and that we might know that no matter what stands in our way, God's going to get us there in the end. And then we turned and followed Paul as he prayed further that we might know that as we look to Jesus. If you're wondering if God's going to do what God said he did, would do from the very beginning, he says, look to Jesus. Look at what God's already done. And more than just looking to Jesus, look at what God's done in your own life. He's raised you and seated you with him in the heavenly places, in that passage we just read. But today he's going to say that more than just looking to Jesus and more than just looking at what God's done in our lives, we can gain great confidence that God is going to do what God set out to do by looking at the church. And that's where we're going to pick up today as Paul turns his focus there in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. Let me read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. This is God's word. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, once again, we come to your word with the hope and expectation and need that through it you will speak to our hearts to tell us what you've done for us in Jesus and who we are because of it. But also how that ought to be reflected in our lives today, that we might walk in it. And I pray now that you would do just that. In the name of Jesus. Go back to this mic and continue to work on that. Let me talk about, um, for a second, the refugee crisis in our world. The refugee crisis that continues to intensify in our world today. Have you read about this in the news? As individuals or families or entire populations are displaced, fleeing their countries under the threat of being extinguished. You know what I'm talking about, right? One of the articles that I read just this week um, named the exodus of over 500,000 Muslims from Buddhist-majority Myanmar just in the last five weeks, in one month's time, 500,000 as the largest exodus that Asia has experienced in the last few decades. You might think it should be named as the largest exodus ever. But no, in the last few decades, it is added to just one of a number that continue to pile up the refugee crisis of our times. This article uh, chronicled the journey of a man named Muhammad Rafiq, who, whose youngest child, an eight-month-year-old baby, had been burned to death by Buddhist mobs. This is the day in which we live, and Muhammad had to flee, was forced to flee for his life with his wife and his two other children until they ended up in the middle of the night to find themselves in the dark on the muddy bank of some creek in a country they didn't know with what this article described as no food and no money and no idea what to do next. I doubt many of us would admit to understanding what that's like. Not many of us, at least. Whether as a refugee from Myanmar or Palestine, Syria or Afghanistan, Somalia or the Sudan, Democratic Republic of Congo. Because most of us don't know what it's like to be one of the now 65.6 million people who have just in the last nine months alone of 2017 been forcibly displaced from their homes, whether by war or systematic violence or having the very human rights 
that they come into this world expecting stripped from their fingers. Not many of us would know what that's like. Catherine and I have had the privilege of knowing many who do, but not many of us would know except that as such things ravage our world, they ought to remind us that we actually share a very similar story. Because while most of us have no idea what it's like to be a refugee in a foreign land in a physical sense, each of us ought to remember or at least know that we were at one time refugees in this world in a spiritual sense. Maybe not without a home, but without a hope. And to reiterate what we looked at last week in the first half of chapter 2 of this letter, this is what Paul's going to show us in the second half. First, by describing the refugee crisis that we all started in. And then by describing, second, what Jesus did about it. And then third, by describing the refuge we've found in him. So we're going to look at and we hope that we would remember the refugee crisis that we started in, what Jesus did about it, and then the refuge that we found in him. That's where we're going today. And we're going to begin first by looking at the refugee crisis we started in. Paul begins in verse 11, Therefore, remember... Therefore, remember, therefore, because you were dead, but now have been made alive, because you have been saved by grace in order that God might show in the coming ages, as it says back in verse 7, the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Therefore, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ. To pick up on the imagery... Paul uses earlier in the chapter, we were all refugees fleeing the deserved wrath of God. And at that time, had no way and no body to save us from what we were in for. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you non-Jews in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which happens to be, he says, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you who were derided for not having the physical sign of being part of the people of God. That's what circumcision was. I know that's not a dinner conversation many of us are usually having. That's what circumcision was. It was a physical sign of being part of the people of God. And he says, remember that even though you were being derided for that, and the ones who were deriding you had no right to be deriding you because the physical sign that they had wasn't pointing to a spiritual reality like it should have been. He says, remember though, that even though you were being derided unjustly, your situation was much worse. He says, you were separated from Christ. Reminds me of the neighborhood, um, the neighborhood that Catherine and I used to live in, which was then at that time the most diverse neighborhood in the country. 
And you used to watch. You'd go around the neighborhood, and you could pick out a playground anywhere, and you could see the immigrant kids in that neighborhood being picked on because of their clothes. That They didn't look American enough. You could see this all the time. We dealt with kids like this all the time. And yet, in reality, their situation was much worse because they didn't even have a green card. This is what Paul is saying. Paul's saying that the lack of the physical sign of being snipped was in fact the least of one's worries. Because what mattered was that what one was missing out on, being on the outside of God's people. And then Paul goes on to highlight what that was in a list. He says, he says first that we were without Christ, which means that we had no access to all the blessings that are found, that Paul says in chapter 1, are found in and only in Christ. There was no adoption. There was no redemption. There was no forgiveness. There was no hope of it. He says you were without Christ. But he also says that we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And this is what he means. He says we were were left to figure out life for ourselves. Israel had a, a way of life. It had a way of life that continued to point it back to God and continued to remind it what God was doing on its behalf. Right? But we were... We were alienated from that commonwealth of Israel. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do in life. We were left to ourselves to figure it out. It's like, it's like all those who are left in this secular world with a secular Christmas and a secular Easter and a secular Thanksgiving Thursday, which really only now is a calm before the storm of the thankless Friday that follows. It's like those who are left with only secular holidays that no longer have any traditions to point them back to the true meaning behind them, right? That you can celebrate the Easter bunny and not have any clue that that's the day that we're celebrating Jesus rose from the dead. He says you too were alienated as Gentiles, as non-Jews from the commonwealth of Israel. You had nothing pointing you back. he says that we were also strangers to the covenants of promise, which are most likely those promises that God made that one day he was going to send Jesus and that one day he was going to send his spirit. You know those two promises from the Old Testament? One made way back in the beginning when God promised that one day one would come to crush the head of the one who bites our heels. And the promise of the Spirit, that not only one would come to crush the head of the one who bites our heels, but someday God would send His Spirit through His Son to empower us to do what we can't do by ourselves. That we would finally be able to live the life we're meant to live in Christ by the power of the Spirit. And I know most of us have gone quite, we've grown quite used to this, right? We're quite used to Jesus and the Spirit. Are you used to that? But just imagine for a minute what it would be like to live in this world without the hope that God was ever going to make it right again. I mean, we slip there every once in a while, but imagine what it would be like if we were left 
to come up with the answer on ourselves. You don't have to imagine much. All you got to do is look at secular humanism. Look at the bankruptcy of it. Trying to come up with reasons to do good. Reasons to keep on going on. Jeff comes up here and takes the mic down. You're untethered. (laughs) Just imagine. Just look at secular humanism. Or if you don't look at humanism, look at paganism. This is nice, being untethered. Look at paganism. Look at, look at the delirium of trying to figure out what God to appease for you to get your way. That's what it's like if we're trying to come up with this thing on our own. Or look at relativism. Look at where that's got us. As people, night after night, do what's right in their own eyes. They don't serve the gods anymore. They've elevated themselves to be the god. And then spent night after night drinking themselves to sleep or taking one more shot just to numb the pain or to feel beyond the numbness. This is what Paul says. This is where we are. Where we were apart from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the the covenants of promise. What an understatement then for Paul to round out his list by saying that we, were, we had no hope and were without God. No kidding. No kidding. That we had no hope and were without God. Some of Kath and my good friends are good friends over the years from the neighborhood we used to live in, from the work we've done overseas have been those who have had to flee their country for one reason or another, to seek asylum elsewhere, to throw themselves on the mercies of another land. But it doesn't compare to where we all began. Wandering in this world, not able to flee because the one we needed to flee was the one under whose wrath we had come, the one who made the world. This is the refugee crisis. Paul says we need to know that we started in. Remember where you came from. But he also says, remember what Jesus did about it. In all last section, the focus was all on God and what God had done. Now the focus turns to looking at Jesus. The refugee crisis we started in, now what Jesus did about it. Even though we were without Christ and outside Christ, Paul says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't know if you're like me. I don't cry in public most times, most often. But something like this can make you weep. So I walk through life feeling all the time that I am far off. Do you know what that's like? To be far off from friends or far off from family or come into a room and feel like you're the only one who doesn't belong? I kind of know that you know what that's like because as I've begun to get coffee with you and lunch with you and to hear your stories, it's been a common denominator. 
That a funny thing is, here at KBC, nobody feels like they're in the inside. That we might all look different, but none of us feels like we're on the inside of this thing. And if you knew what the person next to you was going through, it would break your heart. I know you know what this is like. But look at what Paul says. Paul says, but now, it's almost as good as but God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Even if you don't feel it. Paul says, remember that by grace you have been saved. God raised you with Christ and seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. But also remember not only what you have in His resurrection, but that your life was won by Jesus' death. And that your being brought near was made possible by His being put to death far off. That should be a significant comfort to those of us who continue to feel like we're on the outside. To know that we're no longer on the outside with God, even if we feel like we're still on the outside with everybody else. And yet, Paul says in verse 14, for He Himself is our peace. That it's in Him alone and that we find ourselves back where we belong, both with God but also with others. Even if we don't feel it. Because it's, in him, it's He who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And He did it, Paul says, by abolishing or setting aside the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Because the greatest wall that has ever been erected between human beings was the one that stood between Jew and Gentile. And the one that we erect in one sense or another between us and others. Or that they erect between us and them. It's that wall. And it's a wall of self-righteousness. That's what this was. It was taking the law, the God-given law, and making it something that it wasn't. And we can do that with the law of God, or we can do it by making up our own law. But this is the wall that separates humanity. And this is the law, this is the wall that separated Jew and Gentile. It was the wall of self-righteousness, of thinking that I'm better than you because I've got what it takes to do what you can't. Whether it's me thinking it of myself or thinking of it of someone else. That's how walls get erected in life. That this is how you get to God. It's like taking the commandment that thou shalt not steal. And instead of seeing it as something we're to do because we're already on the inside, we take it as something we do to get on the inside. Thou shalt not steal, so I don't steal. And because I don't steal, I start to think that I'm on the inside and I got myself there. And anyone who does, well, you're obviously on the outside. It's all self-righteousness. It's all thinking that we're better than we are. And we can do that in a number of ways. In innumerable ways. And you can think even now. This is pretty heavy theologically. 
circumcision and not circumcision and uh, you know this is pretty heavy theologically but it is incredibly practical because you know in your life right now that you have walls up whether you put them there or somebody else did and constantly trying to figure out how did this wall get between me and this other person this is it this is the heart the foundation of all walls it's self-righteousness I, even yesterday, was with a guy, a friend of ours from a place we used to live in, and he was telling me that they've been dealing with an issue for about a year and a half between him and, a, and another pastor. And for a year and a half, and the issue doesn't even exist anymore, and they can't get on the same page. And I said, for, for your part, you know what I've been reading this week? This is about self-righteousness. And it may not be all your self-righteousness. It may be mostly his self-righteousness. But that's what the problem is. And yet what Paul is saying is that in Christ, that wall has been broken down. And the pinnacle of that wall, that wall in its strongest, the wall that people erected not off of some moral code they came up with, but the law of God taking it and misusing it for what it wasn't meant to be used for says, in Christ, that has been broken down. Because doing that, turning God's law into something it wasn't, it's like showing up to the White House with a black tie and expecting your name to be on the guest list. As if that's how the guest list worked. And then looking down at everybody pressed up against the fence outside who forgot their tie at home. And thinking that's why they're not on the guest list. When your tie is not even going to do what you think it's going to do. Christ abolished the law. He set it aside because we were using it for what it wasn't meant for. It served its purpose for a time. And now Christ does what only Christ can do. He brings the whole thing back to grace. You ever wondering how relationships can be restored? How brokenness can be undone? How wrongs can be made right again? It's coming back to grace. That's what Jesus did. That's what he made possible. By setting aside our thinking that we could do what only he can do. He brought it back to grace. Paul says that he set aside the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Because in the cross, you see that no one has what it takes. Which is what I assume Paul means when he says that Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near in the cross because we all need this. It's for those of us who somehow slip into thinking that we have the right to be on the inside and for those of us who swallow the lie that we're not good enough to be on the inside. 
Because this isn't about who is and isn't good enough. It's about Jesus being good enough and what he did to make us good enough through the cross. It says he came and preached peace. For through him, Paul says, we both have access now in one spirit to the Father. This is the refugee crisis we started in, and this is what Jesus did about it. We were wandering in wrath, without hope and without God. And Jesus came to bring it back to grace. Remember, not only where you came from, but also what Jesus did about it. The refugee crisis we started in, what Jesus did about it. Lastly, then, the refuge that we found in him. And I I just want to read these last few verses and see if you pick up on what Paul is doing here. He says in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are together fellow citizens with the saints, and together members of the household of God, built together on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom, Paul says, the whole structure together, being joined together, grows together into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also, Paul says, you who once were far off are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you hear what Paul's doing? He's saying that the refuge we found in Jesus is the exact mirror image of the refugee crisis we started in. It's everything that we were wandering in hope of finding. That rather than being dead, we are together alive. Rather than being far off, we've been brought together near. Rather than being strangers and aliens, the refuge we found in Jesus marks us as fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We were without hope and without God. Now we're being built together as the very temple, the very house of the one under whose wrath we once wandered. This is the refuge we find in Jesus. Having Him as the cornerstone so that the whole building rests upon Him and that the whole building is shaped by Him. And it's all about grace. That's what this place is supposed to be. That's why we exist. And if we don't have that, whether with God or with each other, it's not worth showing up on Sundays. This is all about grace. It's the crisis that we were far off. It's what Jesus did about it, that he brought us together near and the refuge that we found in him, that not only are we members of God's house, but are ourselves the house in which God dwells by grace, by grace. That's what the cross stands for. That's the theological foundation of our very existence as a church. But it also has some very practical implications that we can remember this not only as a thing in our heads, 
but remember it in very practical ways. And let me just name three. Three ways that we can remember this. And I'm going to hone in from looking on the outside of our church towards looking on the inside. So we can remember this in three ways. First, we can remember in the way that we care for the outsider. And I'm particularly thinking here of how we as Christians care for those who have been displaced, who are now wandering the world, throwing themselves at the mercies of another nation because they've been forcibly removed from their home. I'm thinking of refugees. And of course it's broader than that, but at least I'm thinking in these terms, as those who remember that we were once far off in a spiritual sense, we ought to have a special concern for those who find themselves far off in a physical sense. And that as much as they're in need of grace spiritually, which is the end goal, that we should open up opportunities for sharing grace with them by caring for their physical needs some of our most significant relationships i was saying before Catherine and i were with people who have been displaced some of the people we loved on most when we were on the north side of the city of chicago were those who had lost their homes left everything behind many of whom didn't believe what we believed but we found opportunities of loving on them And then it opened up opportunities to share with them why we were doing it. Because those of us who know what it's like to be refugees ourselves ought to have a special concern for those in our world who have lost their homes and are in need of an eternal home. We ought to be concerned about the outsider, those wandering without hope. Second, a little closer to home, a little something that we deal with more in our nation today, we ought to have something to say about the racial tensions that continue to plague our nation. Whether or not we can agree on whether or not a player ought to kneel in protest during the national anthem, we ought to agree that black lives do indeed matter as much as any other. And that this will be a place where we know racial or family or economic reconciliation better than anywhere else in the world. Because we know Jesus. We know Jesus. So we should have something to say when issues like this pop up in our in our country. And though we may debate the best way to go about that as a society, as Christians, we ought to have something to say about reconciliation. Because we know what that looks like with our God. We've been brought in. We were far off. We have been brought near. And this will be a place KBC will be a place, God's church will be a place where there are no such divisions as long as we come through the one dividing line, as long as we come through Christ. That insofar as grace stands, we can reconcile with anyone. 
There are no divisions that are too big. There are no dividing walls of hostility that cannot be broken down. We ought to have something to say about this in our culture today because we know what it's like more than anyone else. We ought to have a care for the outsider. We ought to be concerned with what it means to be an insider, that it is based on grace alone. Lastly then, let me bring us back to where Paul started and what he's doing in this section of his letter. That a care for the outsider, a concern for who's an insider, we also ought to have a a great confidence in what's to come. Remember that that's where we started. Remember that that's where we started. That Paul is praying that we would know where we're going. That we would know that it's going to be worth it when we get there. That there will be no walls of hostility. And that no matter what stands in our way, God's going to get us there in the end. And he said, if you want, if you need to, look to Jesus. And you can see what God's already done to have confidence that God's going to do what he set out to do. And if that's not enough, look to what he's already done in your life. And if that's not enough, look to his church. Look at us. We are a bunch of people who feel like we're on the outside. And yet, God has brought us in and brought us near. And we can have great confidence that God is going to finish what God's already started. Which I think just circles back around. And it puts us in a place where we don't mind then getting dirty. That's what Jim said in his interview the other day. Um, We were talking to Jim about becoming one of our deacons, and you're going to hear more of that in the coming weeks. Jim said he's ready to get dirty. And we ought to all be in a similar place. That because of what Jesus did, and he put this back where it belongs, that this is now about grace again, that we're ready to get dirty. Because God's going to do what God's going to do in the end. And all we got to do is be about the business we've been left with. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we look back at what you did in the early church, tearing down the wall, the wall that used your law as its foundation, the wall that separated Jew and Gentile, as we look back to you tearing that down in Christ, I pray as that comes to bear on us today, we would see you tear down the walls in our own lives. And that though we can't control everything, that if it's up to us on our side of the ledger, there would be no self-righteousness. That we would be open to reconcile with anyone who's willing to stand in the grace of Christ. pray you do it as we work to, in your world to share your grace with those who've lost everything, even those seeking asylum in our country. 
Pray we would take opportunity with those who look different than us and act different than us that we would share Jesus that we might be one with them and them with us. I pray you do it as we confidently look forward to all that you are going to do on our behalf. In Jesus, in his name I pray, amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.